Let's open our Bibles today to Psalm 71. An odd thing has happened in these days when it comes to my reading. Uh, these days I'm referring to as this time of us uh, being separated, uh, being distanced by the virus. And one of the things I've recognized that in my appetite for reading, that I found myself wanting to read classic old books by dead people. Now, I don't mean to be crass in saying that. There's just something going on in my heart and my mind where I'm longing to read uh, from people that have kind of uh, run the whole journey. Uh, that it's not just a, a moment in time that they're offering some kind of uh, expertise or insight, but some pattern here that some perspective here where you get the whole picture. You see a life that has run the whole race. And the book is a classic because it has stood the test of time. Um, I'm looking for someone that's able to give a marathon perspective versus a sprint perspective. And I think that that's the big reason that Psalm 71 is going to shake out as being my favorite psalm of the summer. And maybe not just a favorite psalm of the summer, it may turn out to be one of my most favorite psalms of all 150. And the reason is, is that the author gives us a picture of a full race, all the way from birth to almost the very last breath of life. And we get a marathon picture. We get a full race perspective of the writer of this psalm. Uh, we, we do not know if Psalm 71 was written by King David. We believe it is because of some of the uh, words that are used and the way the psalm is laid out. It's similar to things that David has written in the past, but there is no identification for Psalm 71 of who the author is. But we do know this. If it was King David that wrote the psalm, or if it was someone else that wrote the psalm, what we do know is that it is a psalm with a perspective of someone in their old age. Uh, they are looking back over a long period of time. It was written by someone in the latter years of their life. That's why when you read um, many articles or books about this particular psalm, that uh, commentators and theologians, uh, preachers of the past, refer to Psalm 71 as a song for old age, uh, a psalm for uh, the latter years. I want to offer to you that Psalm 71 is not just a psalm for people in their old age. I want to suggest to you today that Psalm 71 is special because it is a psalm for every age, giving us a picture of the wisdom of someone who has lived to old age. It's for every age. And it's written to give us this picture, this scene of what it looks like to cross the finish line faithful. Of what it looks like to have a long, long 
sense of following the Lord. It's a beautiful psalm because it gives us this idea of a long life lived in the presence of God. And what a valuable picture that is. John Calvin, writing about the Psalms, said that they're so special because they give us the anatomy of every part of the soul. I would like to add to that and say that Psalms, particularly Psalm 71, is special because it gives to us the anatomy of every season of life. Birth, youth, middle age, old age, we have it here in Psalm 71. It's 24 verses. I want you to hear these as just a part of our worship today. Psalm 71, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from From before my birth, you are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say God has forsaken him pursue and seize him for there is none to deliver him oh God be not far from me oh my God make haste to help me may my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? Verse 20, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also... Praise you with a heart for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Now... Would you, for just a few minutes, 
Imagine sitting down with someone, let's just say, who has hit the century mark. Someone who's 100 years old. Imagine coming back to your friends and saying, uh, today I had the neatest opportunity. I had the most special opportunity. I had a chance to sit down with this man. I had a chance to sit down with this woman. They were 100 years old this year. And we spent two hours together just, just talking and mainly me just listening. I think what we would say in that conversation almost immediately would be, what'd you learn? What'd you see? What'd they say? What, what? And, and maybe we would ask questions like, uh, what did they say about life? What did they say about the times we're in? They give you any advice, any treasure? Uh, what, 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 what was special? I think Psalm 71 gives us that opportunity in a lot of ways to just sit down at the feet and kind of glean from someone who looks back over their life all the way back to birth, in some ways even before birth, and say, hey, this is, this is what I value. This is what I'm clinging to. Again, you might say, well, it's just a psalm for old age. I want to say, you're a teenager. Uh, you're listening today. You're watching today. A, a child that hasn't hit the teen years yet. Why would this psalm be for you? I was just thinking, you know what? If... if we didn't have youth camp this summer. We didn't have kids camp this summer. But if I was leading a youth camp or I was leading a kids camp, I would say, here are my 12 sessions right here. I, I want to I give you really just kind of run through these 12 observations that, that stand kind of as a, a lesson each of what we see that makes this writer of Psalm 71 so incredibly special. So, so what could we learn? What could we glean? What could we grab a hold of for the season of life that we're in? Number one. And I just uh, put it like uh, this is what he's saying. Number one, observe that the writer of this psalm, he practiced prayer as his first language. He practiced prayer as his first language. Sometimes we speak of people being bilingual. We, we talk about people, uh, well, their, their, their first language is English, their second language is Spanish or German or vice versa. And, and we talk about someone has learned another language. Well, what we see from the writer of Psalm 71, that their first language, their priority language, their best language was the language of prayer. And it comes through right out of the gate. And, and verse 1, it is a reminder that this is not just a song, but it's a prayer. And when he's looking out over the picture of life from birth to, uh, to death, and he's moved from having just a little hair as a baby to having gray hairs as an older person here, it, he's praying. He's praying. And when he comes to the end of his life, when he's turned gray, he's still praying. He's still leaning on God. He's still calling out to God. Maybe you would consider yourself today, for whatever reason, just say, I'm not old yet. Uh, somebody else is old, but I'm not old. Um, and I just challenge you from the lesson of this writer of Psalm 71 that we need to learn early in our days that prayer is our most important 
language. We need to learn to talk to God. We need to learn the practice and the discipline of spending time talking with the Lord. An influential older man in my life was a man by the name of Bill Henderson. Pastor Bill Henderson. We called him Brother Bill. He came to be the interim pastor of a little church that I grew up in. And for more than a year, Brother Bill Henderson just would come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And, and I can remember him standing in front of our church. I never heard anybody do this before. He would stand up. He was about five foot eight. He seemed to be 80 years old even in those days. And he would say, repeat these words after me this morning, church. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. We'd say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. And we'd repeat it back to him. And then he would pray. And I know prayers are not supposed to be impressive to humans. But I learned from his prayers. And what I learned from his prayers was this. When he prayed, I said, that's a man that talks to God early, often, and long. Why would I say that? Because even in his 80s, here was a guy that had... You could just tell he was comfortable communicating with God. What a great lesson for us. Number two, we see from this man writing Psalm 71 that his security was found in the steadfast character of God. His security was found in the steadfast character of God. Verses 1 through 5, it jumps out. He uses those R words that are popular in the book of Psalms and the hymns of Psalms here. And and, uh, words like refuge, rescue, rock, righteous. And these were the words that this writer of Psalm 71 was basing his life on. He, was, he, he started right out in prayer and he says, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Verse 2, in your righteousness deliver me and rescue me. Verse 3, be my rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You've given the command to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. If this was King David in his latter years, he could have easily talked about his wealth, perhaps his health, his possessions, or his position. He could talk about his armies. He could talk about his chariots. He could talk about his horses. He could talk about his weapons. But as he comes to a point of realizing that his hair has become gray You see that he found his security in none of those things. What he celebrated as his secure place was God himself. And he found security in the Lord as being the one in his circumstances that would still be his refuge, his rescue, and his rock. One writer of commentary on Psalm 71 said that the dominant theme of Psalm 71 is hope. And that comes through in the security of the writer of this psalm. Today is a great reminder of us or the young or old to find our security in something that cannot be taken away, something that cannot go down or up. The steadfast character of God is the place for our security. Number three, 
he realized there was still time to compromise in his relationship with God. If I walked away from a conversation with this one who wrote in Psalm 71, this is the the fourth observation that, uh, the third observation I would make, and it's this. This writer, this man of old age realized there was still time to compromise in his relationship with God. Listen to it. Verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to what? Shame. Shame. You you think in some ways he, he would be at this point where he's like, I'm kind of, I'm at the end. There's really not much temptation that could knock me off. There's really not much threat to where I am right now. I mean, what do I have? A year, two, three, four, five? Who knows how much time? But, but here he is praying in his older days, and he's still realizing, hey, I can lose this game. There's still a second on the clock. I can, I can blow this. I can ruin my reputation. And, and, and it, it's a, a reminder to us that we never age out of temptation. We never age out of the opportunity to sin and compromise. We cannot let down our guard. There are temptations of different kinds in every season of life. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna, the ancient Smyrna. Smyrna was identified as one of the seven churches of Revelation. It is uh, modern-day Turkey. It's uh, located in uh, a city known today as Izmir in Turkey. Uh, 156 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, Polycarp was the bishop there in the city of Smyrna. He was... um, facing martyrdom. Uh, He he was being persecuted for his faith in Jesus Christ. On February 22nd, he would be martyred for his faith in Jesus. There was this pressure on him to to, uh, say to Caesar that Caesar was king. Uh, they, They said, here's your choice, Polycarp. You can worship Caesar or you can be offered to the lions. You can worship Caesar, or you can be burned at the stake. The city officials, before they took him to a place of martyrdom, tried to persuade him to make a gesture towards Caesar that would show that he was honoring Caesar above his Lord. He was 86 years old at this time. They said these words to him. They said, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord? What harm is there in burning incense? Save yourself, Polycarp. And these were his words. He said, for 86 years, I have been Christ's slave. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me. Polycarp would fit in well with the writer of Psalm 71. He's saying, as I approach the end of my life, 
I want to make sure that I finish the race. I keep fighting the good fight of faith. Number four, observation is, is that he based his salvation on his belief that God would deliver him by his righteousness. Not, not the writer's righteousness, God's righteousness. The writer here, the psalmist, believed that his salvation, he, he based his salvation on the belief that God would deliver him by God's righteousness, according to God's righteousness. Verse 2, in your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. You realize that it is God's righteousness that settles our salvation. No matter if we live to be 50 or 60 or 80 or 120, there is not enough days, there are not, there are not enough days there are not enough good acts that we can do that would say to God, we're worthy of salvation. What you and I need is God's righteousness. And if we're young today, a teenager, middle age, or a senior adult, we need to have this same kind of faith as Psalm 71 illustrates, and that is our hope of deliverance in this life for eternal life is based on the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Christ. We're told in the New Testament that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, to be our righteousness. What is your hope of salvation based on today? Here's the fifth observation. He placed his enemies in the hands of God. Was he a warrior? Well, we know that he was a prayer warrior. We, we know that he believed that God would take care of the wicked, that God would take care of the unjust, that God would take care of the cruel man. It's in verse 4. The psalmist says, Rescue, rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. He turns his enemies, those that were opposed to him. His enemies had become regular characters in his prayer life. He trusted his enemies into the hands of God. Number six, he believed that what he trusted in, he believed what he trusted in when he was young was still worth clinging to in his old age. He believed that what he trusted in when he was young was still worth clinging to in his old age. There's so many new things that come along, so many new philosophies, so many new ideas. They say, here's a new way of thinking. Think of, I want to be progressive in my philosophy. I want to be progressive in my theology. I want to be progressive in my faith. Listen to verse 5 and 6. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. He was finishing the race believing what he had believed at the first. 
God, his God, faithful from birth to the very end of his life. Don't be swayed by the winds of this world that blow through and blow on out in another year or another season of life. My pastor, during my days of college, would talk about his days of college, and he, he went to be a pastor in the school where he was, training them to preach, started teaching things in Scripture as not being true. And he talked about professors that would stand in front of him and say, this is, you, you can't believe this miracle, and you can't believe this miracle. And really what this is is just an allegory. It's not truth. It's just a, a broad picture of, a, of, 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 of the just kind of illustrate what God might be like, but not true. And he talked about how he would come back home to his church where he had grown up, and he would talk to a man there who was uh, a Sunday school teacher, and he said, I don't know what to do with all of this. And he said he'd say to him, just cling to what you were taught in Sunday school. Just cling to what you were taught in Sunday school. I think of that pastor now of more than Almost 50 years of pastoring, he would say, I stuck with what I heard back when I was in Sunday school, and it's still true today. And that's the writer of the psalm. He's saying, I still believe what I believed when I was young. It's worth clinging to. Number seven, his life was more about God's glory than about his story. His life was more about God's glory than about his Story. Look at verse 6. He says, Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Look at verse 8. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. In verse 14. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. He describes on each side of these verses circumstances of his life. But as he presents circumstances, it's the same response over and over. God, I will praise you. This is what's going on. Help me. I will praise you. This is what's going on. Lord, help me. I will praise you. It, it was like the, the psalmist was saying, it's not so much about me. And when it all comes down to it, the, the real story here is God's glory. So, Lord, you are worthy of praise. It's, a, it, it's, it's said over and over again, it would be worth reminding ourselves again today on this last weekend of June that it's just not all about me. It's just not all about you. That what God is weaving together is the story of his glory. Number eight, he was, there's an observation I would make here is this. He was growing weaker physically but stronger spiritually. He was growing weaker physically but stronger spiritually. Verse nine he says, do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. You may think today as you're growing weaker physically that God is done with you spiritually. Not according to Psalm 71. 
According to Psalm 71, he's still in here praying. He's still in here fighting with God. He's still in here praising God. He's still in here exalting what God has done. And it seems like even though he's growing weaker physically, he's growing stronger spiritually. I think of stories that you hear about people who've played sports for a number of years and They'll say, here's a guy that's been in the league for 15 years, and he's better than he's ever been. You say, well, can he jump as high? No. Can, is he as strong as he was? No. And what do we say? We say, well, he's, he's learned the game. He's, he's smarter. And in our walk with the Lord, one of the things that happens is we, we, we journey uh, along this way of just this long life of faithfulness with God and just journeying with God, running the race with God is that we become spiritually smarter. We, we'd call it spiritual maturity. Listen, don't let weakness physically rob you of the opportunity to press ahead growing spiritually. Here's another observation. It's observation number nine. His speech was becoming his strongest asset. His speech was becoming his strongest asset. And this is so important because a lot of times as we grow older, our speech can become our strongest detriment. We can become critical. We can become complainers. We can become bitter. But here you see that his speech was becoming his strongest asset. Verse 14, he says, But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. In verse 16, with the mighty deeds of the Lord God, I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness and yours alone. And then listen, uh, the last part, uh, verse 18, so even old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Think about what he could say in his old age. Think about what he could say about God. He was able to say, here's a long journey I've been in, and every season I see the mighty works of God. There was a need, there was a prayer, there was a miracle, there was provision. I didn't know how that was ever going to work out. God came through. I remember when she was so sick. I remember when he was so down. I remember when I was so discouraged. And right over there, there it is. That, that almost just gave up. But praise God. His good deeds. Think about what he could say, not just about God. Think about what he could say to God. He says, my mouth is full of praise. And one of the great things that we can do as we grow older is to fill our mouth with praise. And it's amazing. If we fill our mouth with praise, there's not much room for bitterness or ingratitude or complaint. But not just what he could say about God or to God. He also see his speech as being an asset because of what he could say for God. And that's verse 18, where he took it upon himself to realize, Lord, I need to live long enough to be able to tell another generation about your goodness. And that just speaks to us of why our church values multi-generational relationships. Because... 
A younger generation needs you. There's a generation of people in their 40s that need to hear from some people in their 60s. There's some people who need to hear from some in their 60s who need to hear from people in their 80s. There's some people that are 10, 11, and 12 that need to hear from some 20-year-olds. We need to have a, a generation ahead that's run the race and is able to say, hey, let me tell you what God can do. Don't give up. Number 10, he still battled with issues of abandonment. Now, this is, this is kind of eye-opening. Here's a man in his old age, and repeatedly in this prayer, he's saying, God, don't forsake me. Verse 12, oh God, be not far from me. Oh, God, oh my God, make haste to help me. Verse 17, oh God, from my youth you've taught me. Still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even in old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me. It's a great lesson to us that there is this long-running prayer where the great desire is, Lord, just, I just want to be in your presence. I don't want to feel alone. Number 11, he had learned that trouble and trials and tragedy are not what's in the last chapter with God. What a, what a great whole life perspective. He had learned that trouble and trials and tragedy are not what's in the last chapter with God. Look at verse 20 and 21. He says, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. You, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. That's why the dominant theme of this psalm is hope. Because in his calamities, in his troubles, in his tragedies, in his trials, he recognized God wasn't finished. And in the last chapter, he, he just believed in this resurrection. He believed in revival. He believed that God was not done and God was not finished. And maybe right now you, you walk through this season and say, there's so much trouble. I feel like every day is a trial. I feel like every piece of news is tragedy. Hold on like the writer of Psalm 71 to this hope. He will comfort you again. And here's the last one. He had lived long enough to know that God wins and the enemy will be shamed. The last verse, And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. The writer of this psalm knew that ultimately God wins Righteousness wins. Those hidden in Christ win. So, close this out. Just four quick statements. And then the band's going to come and they're going to sing a song called Good Grace. Pay attention especially to a line in that song of good grace that, that says, um, fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. 
Take courage, hold on, be strong, remember where our help comes from. But before we sing, just four statements. If you're old, remember you've still got some living to do. Psalm 71 shows us, even if you feel old, you've still got some living to do. If you're young, you still have some listening to do. And it would do us well to listen to someone who writes from a perspective of the whole race. If you're alive, you've still got some praising to do. And that's all of us. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the situation teaches us, let our mouth be full of praise. And then last, if you're lost, you've still got some time to do the right thing. And that would be today, whether you're watching online or just listening, you could call out to Jesus Christ and ask Him to become your righteousness. Ask Him to be your Savior and Lord, and He will save you today. Let's pray. Father, today, help us to live this life with our whole heart. Help us to listen well. Lord, let our mouths be full of praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.